we really are focused on being really ethical operators and providing great returns for investors. Like that is the number one goal and to operate with extreme integrity um, mm-hmm. and, to, and to just be completely transparent and, and really good to our residents, really good to the communities that we are buying and acquiring and operating because we're not in it for fixed flip and doing harm to a community. We really want to do well by communities and we really want to do well by investors. And we believe that that's the best way to provide those good returns. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest, again, is Alex Moore. We're going to continue the conversation from yesterday. She's the founder of Graywell Capital, a multifamily real estate investment firm based in San Francisco. She's led Graywell Capital. Yes, to double growth year over year since its inception. So you're going to learn a lot from Alex in our discussion today. I am grateful that you are with us again today. I hope that you have liked and subscribed to the show. If you have any feedback, we would welcome it. You can email us info at Life Capital. We would love to hear who you would like for us to interview, questions you would like me to ask, uh, how we can improve it so we can help you to grow your business. Please like and subscribe. We're forever grateful. All right, Alex, shifting gears a little bit. If you could look back now, you know, when you were making that transition or you're thinking about real estate or maybe even before that, knowing what you know now, what would you tell yourself? maybe even before college or maybe even younger, what do you wish you had known or what would you have done differently? Yeah, I think, man, if I had been able to talk to myself, you know, I made the decision to go into medicine when I was 16. I did a few internships and shadowed people that I really respected. But I think if I really would have pushed the envelope and felt comfortable saying, okay, what would it look like if I did anything? Really have talked to more people outside of traditional career trajectories, like getting it down into, you know, if you own a landscaping business, I just, I think that would have been a really good thing for me to just have had exposure to. Like, how do you run that business? How do you scale that business? Why do you get into it? Just from talking to small business owners would have been a really huge exposure to me because I had it in the family. But at that age, I didn't really think about approaching it from that like perspective. And maybe that's where I'm at now versus what I was at then. But I think the owner mentality of how that happens and how do you create a successful business? I think having more exposure to that younger is huge. I know that there's schools that promote that entrepreneurship early. And I think it's such a good thing for kids because you're so creative when you're younger, you're really less you have less inhibitions, less concerns. It's the perfect time to start something. There's less fear. Yes. And you have less on the line. Like sure, your business you know, folds. It doesn't matter. You've tried. And I think that's so awesome. So I would love to have had that exposure earlier. I think having a better financial understanding younger for how to build a successful path to wealth and sustainable growth, I think would have been awesome. I would have loved to have had someone say, you know, buy a duplex and house hack for your first thing or do that for college. Like I totally would have taken them up on that. If I had even thought that was a possibility, that would have been a huge thing. And just opening your concept. I think anyone who can kind of inspire younger people is huge. Cause I did have a few key mentors through undergraduate and graduate school that really helped me see a, a higher potential for myself. And the more people you can have that, the better. Cause I think we often are our biggest limiters when it comes to how far we push ourselves. You know, I, I'll tell a quick story. I was in a group of entrepreneurs not long ago and one of the guys there, he has a successful business, but he also farms some, I think mostly for fun, but they just enjoy the farming and I, I enjoy it as well, but it's not, thankfully my livelihood is not, you know, on the farm. Right. But his boys, he said, when his boys got five years old, five or six, 
uh, he bought them a calf and it became their business, right? They had to learn responsibility. They had to care for this calf every day, right? Well, they finally take that calf to market. At that point, he's paying for all the feed, everything. Well, then they sell that calf and then they go and then they get to buy one. And then they are spending, right? You know, it's money they feel like they've earned anyway, right? Uh, you know, and they're spending their money, quote, you're right, uh, on this calf. They get the next one. Then they're actually, they can afford to pay for the feed then as well. You know, they're getting to go to the store and buy the feed and they're getting to track these things. And, and then by the next time he said, you know, they can almost buy two calves. Uh, and so he said like his like 12 or 13 year old now has like a whole herd, you know, of their own. Right. And so it becomes their own business. He said, it may not be extremely profitable for them, but, but the lessons learned are just amazing. Right. Uh, and so, you know, that made me start thinking about that, you know, uh, just what my boys can start doing. Right. How can I encourage that? How can I uh, just start building that in them now, even to give them that experience like you're talking about, man, if I could have just house hacked, learned a little bit about business and the opportunity, it may have just, you know, made you pivot altogether a lot earlier. Right. Do you have any predictions, Alex, just in the real estate market over the next six to 12 months? I know a lot of people ask this, but really, you know, maybe uh, lean on like, you know, have you changed your underwriting? Are you still buying or selling? Are you, depending on what you're expecting over the next year or less uh, in the market, how's that changing, you know, how you're looking at deals or what you're doing? Um, I'm glad you asked that because I think that's been so on everybody's mind is where the markets have shifted and where debt is now so different than it was just a few months ago. We're seeing some good pricing corrections. So I think that offers some good opportunity for people to get more reasonably priced assets and ones that are now closer cap rates to being reflective of their asset class, which I think that wasn't something that we had for a long time. That's been, I think, a good thing. In response to that though, also there's been an equity shift too from traditional retail raises. Those have been a little bit more difficult. And so I think diversifying your equity pool outside of people who are just reliant more on stocks into people who have more consistent, large, cash flow coming in and, and have equity that they need to deploy if you're doing traditional retail raise. Otherwise, you know, expanding into other equity sources like private equity, um, I think is a good one to just diversify out of. But over the next six to 12 months, I would anticipate that we're going to see some more reasonably priced assets. We're going to see likely stabilizing a financing. I think we'll have probably a couple more hikes. And so getting more creative on how you're looking at financing for value add product for us, traditional bridge was what we used to model out all the time and acquire. But now we're looking at more fixed bridge products in doing lower leverage. And so finding assets that can do that, it actually gives you more stability in your asset because you have less leverage on it and you have a fixed rate. So as long as your investors are okay with that and in doing a potential just five years straight hold, I tend to be pretty conservative and have lower risk profiles is reflected in my investor base. And so I think that's, you know, just being creative about how you're financing these, especially with the rate environment of where it's going and the predictions for where the SOFR will be. And so, and, and call your mortgage brokers all the time, just like have a regular check-ins where they're seeing rates at, because everyone's going to have a little bit more, you know, pessimistic versus optimistic. And when you don't have an active deal, that's a good time to get a real temperature because when you have an active deal, everyone's going to promise you the world. They're going to say, yeah, we can get you this rate. So you need to know that before you actually get your deal that, Hey, this is a reasonable rate to be projecting in my underwriting. And when I'm going into fast and final, I have assumptions that are, are correct for making the deal metrics work on conservative leverage. That's a relationship that you have to nurture as well, right? Even when you don't have a deal, right? You need to be making that phone call. No doubt about it. I think many of us learn that. Unfortunately, many people the hard way, you know, when they shut the country down, right? When all that started happening in March of, of 20. And uh, I knew our lender, we were closing a deal like the third week of the month. Well, it was the next week that they shut everything down, right? We were like the only deal or like everything they had on their books at that moment, they didn't close. 
closed. They backed out, except for hours. And like, it's just the Lord, like, I I can't even explain it. But, you know, so grateful. Obviously, it would have been so detrimental for them to back out like last minute, you know. But I just think, man, that relationship was so important that we had with them, you know, that they still did our loan, even though they were, they were backing out of everybody else's. So yeah, great advice having that relationship owned in on that front as well. So what about preparing for that downturn though? If you, let's say you do expect, hey, we always want to be prepared, right? Sometimes we expect it more than others. Sometimes, you know, some people expect it every year and it just keeps going somehow, but either way we want to be prepared. Even if it's not a massive market shift, you know what? A, a bowler still go out, roofs still fail, AC units still, fail, you know, like things still happen, but then there could also be a market turn as well, right? And unfortunately, you know, we don't want to be in the spot where all that happens at one time, but we do, if it does happen, we want to be as prepared as possible, right? And how do you look at that? How do you make sure your deal is prepared for something like that? Yep. I think a lot of people in in such a bull market that you have been able to overpay for an asset because your rents have been able to support that. I think one of the things that right now rents are still going at an insane velocity and they may continue because housing supply is lower than what the demand is. And it's going to be that way for the next few years. But looking at where inflation's at and the lack of compensation, keeping up with that, I think that's important to kind of understand, is your resident base able to tolerate the rents that you anticipate? So I've been very cautious about where we're anticipating future rents and making sure that we are keeping those accelerators reasonable. Um, And often we're doing it half of what the market's really forecasting. So we typically underrate a four or a three percent year over year rent increase because we want assets that if it's just you know keeping up still profitable and uh we also do in a reserves account like annually and so we do keep a pretty hefty reserves account in order to protect against the future because we never want to be at a place where if it's a maintenance issue like we need to be able to do that and, and the building should be able to sustain that and i think our investors appreciate that too because we're always transparent about that and about making sure that the asset itself is what we're protecting first and in that way we're protecting your capital i think a lot of folks think that if I get really, you know, amazing distributions all the time, that means the asset's doing really well. I think that if you're giving too many distributions out, like if you're going all into the distributions, you're probably doing too much upfront and you need to give yourself a little bit more buffer. So I'm always like, we give appropriate distributions, but we want reserves account to be high. We want us to be forecasting reasonable expectations in the future. And people do really well when you're, you set expectations upfront, like set reasonable expectations and try to over deliver. Like people are much happier with that than saying, we're going to promise you the moon. (laughs) Then we fall short. And that, that just doesn't go well. Protecting against the future is really about being conservative upfront. That's why it takes so much work to find things that actually meet your numbers. And it's discipline. And that really is hard because it's so much easier. It is easy to acquire the wrong thing. And I think a lot of people don't realize that when they say, you know, I've grown to X amount and I want to get this much more in the next year and a half to two years. And it's like, well, is it the right product? Because for the last few years, we have been in such a good market that you don't have to be a fantastic, you don't have to be great at acquiring good properties. You don't have to even be that good at operating properties in some circumstances because you've been able to sell at compressed cap rates. So I think we're going to see a lot of correction over the next couple of years. And we're going to see a lot of short-term debt expiring and likely a lot of what I would say on sale buildings where you can get it for a lot less of more, more of a discount than previous years. Um, I think that's what we'll be seeing. Are you about to start a podcast or producing a podcast and tired of doing the editing yourself? We have produced over 1,000 daily shows and the production team that I've created, they're now available to produce shows for you as well. We can do as little or as much as you need from finding and communicating with guests 
preparing introductions, to editing the audio and video. You will sound better, have a more professional presence, and be able to spend your time doing other valuable tasks on your business. Let me know you're interested by emailing me directly at Whitney at LifeBridgeCapital.com. So you mentioned uh, like having that hefty reserve budget. Is there a way that you calculate that in some way? Or I, I know it, it's different for every project. Obviously, you know, there's so many things you take into account. I know we do when we're thinking about, well, how much reserves do we need for this project? How much CapEx are we having to do? How old is this building? How many AC units? How many, you know, are they all brand new? Are they all 30 years old? Are they, you know, like all these things, right? That obviously you need to be thinking through. Uh, but sometimes it could be as simple, you know, as well, we want six months of expenses in the bank or we want a year of, you know, expenses in the bank. You know, is there a way that you think through that? That at least to get that process started when you're thinking about a reserve budget? We usually do six months up front. And so we have that factored into our closing costs. It's like we're going to have a reserves budget of six months. And then additionally, we'll do per unit. We'll have a reserves budget that we're saving on a per unit basis. And that is a minimum of $250 a unit that we, we save into their reserves. And that will cover your standard standard things that come up during the year, um, like your appliances, if we need to. And then we have a CapEx budget that we go really aggressive on. Um, we often have like a pretty good contingency budget because you just don't know what you're going to find in DD. And with today's terms, you don't have a lot of negotiating power. Um, I think we'll start seeing more of a shift on that, but you want to make sure going into it that your CapEx makes sense. So we look at it as an overall CapEx budget. And then what does that mean per unit? And does that basis make sense as like for the purchase price plus the CapEx? Does that make sense for what's being sold and traded and for for that asset class, for the how old it is, where it's located, what other trades are at. Um, so we really, really focus on that. And then I know cap rates have been all over and that's kind of a heated debate, but we, I personally don't feel super comfortable getting a sub three cap in general, just because if I'm going to trade at a sub three, I always joke, I might as well go to LA where... <laughs> Where that's been, you know, in place for so long, and you have a really good population base there that's always been there. It's super perennial. And being that I live in California, I'm like, I know how expensive things are. So if I'm going to be paying that rate, I might as well just go down there. No, I appreciate you laying out just how you think about that. I think often we say, well, uh, you know, we're so conservative and we have a big reserve budget, and then we go on to the next thing. But you know, oftentimes people don't really share. Well, how do we think about that? I want the listener and myself to be able to, you know, better understand how other people look at that and kind of methodically go through that process. Appreciate that. Uh, What's a way that you've recently improved your business that maybe we could apply to ours? Oh, I love that. Recent improvement has been personally, I think I get as the owner, I get stuck in the weeds a lot. And so I've been trying my best to get myself out of the weeds as I'm doing operations. And so I think the biggest improvement has been working on myself, pulling myself out of the business to more of a, a global. So I've been doing my best to, and I'm not very good at it. I'm just going to be transparent, but taking time once a week to really think about the business rather than being in the business. And I think that's really an important thing that I haven't really allowed myself to do previously, but um, that reset makes me more energized for the business, makes me more excited. It gives me clarity of where our obstacles are and makes me a better leader. I try to do that on Fridays to say, Hey, like I'm going to take a couple hours to really take some time to think about, about the business. And that often includes just, I I take a, a long walk, get myself a coffee and I say, okay, these are the things we need to like work out. I think it's really important to do that reset as the owner of a company. Um, and 
it's easy to, to, to not take that time. It's so much easier not to take that time, but I feel like I am so much clearer when I do, um, and give myself that, that breath to say, okay, what, do, what do we need to work on? And it gives me much more focus for the next week. Have you read the book, the road less stupid? No, but I love that title. So I've recommended it a ton on the show, but it's a guy named uh, Keith Cunningham and it's, uh, you know, he's, he failed at business and he, he you know, grew another massive business and, and each chapter is like its own coaching session, almost about different parts of business, but a big thing that he focuses on in that book is a thing called thinking time. And I've talked about it a bunch on the show uh, and how that's it's helped me and my wife a bunch, you know, just thinking about our family or business. But ultimately, it's like creating the space to think, right? And to think well is difficult. And I think when you're really driven to, you feel like it's very uh, unproductive, right? It's like, well, I'm just going to go sit. What are you talking about? You know, uh, but it's like providing that space. Uh, and he lays out a way that he's found to be very successful doing that. But anyway, it made me think of that, you know, like you're just going to get a coffee or whatever, you know, it's like creating that space. All right, so I love that. And just the focus of, of keeping that in there and, and uh, the time for that, it's hard to do. So what's your best source right now for meeting new investors? For meeting new investors, my best source of it, like where my funnel is, it's been very organic. Um, so I have to say that most of the time it's actually from friends and family that have extended beyond that. So it's not even that they're all local. I have certainly have local investors, but I've been very surprised by the breadth of extension from myself that has happened. And so we've lived in several places in the country. And so because of that, our investor base is kind of all over. I also think that it's so important to meet with folks who specifically need to allocate capital. And so if you can get meetings with them and establish a relationship and you have, if you have a touch point of connection, someone who's worked with them before can vouch for them. Cause my number one thing is finding value aligned partners. I really want folks who are in it for the long haul, who want long-term relationships that we have fair terms and that we really are focused on being really ethical operators and providing great returns for investors. Like that is the number one goal and to operate with extreme integrity um, and to and just, just be completely transparent and, and really good to our residents, really good to the communities that we are buying and acquiring and operating because we're not in it for fixed flip and doing harm to a community. We really want to do well by communities and we really want to do well by investors. And we believe that that's the best way to provide those good returns. And that's how, why they're going to tell their, their, their buddies, right? Or their friends about you. Uh, so what are some some of the, or maybe one or two of uh, the most important metrics that you track that could be personal or professional, either way you want to take that. What, what are some of the most important things that you track? Within the company, we're tracking our internal metrics, but I also think it's really important beyond that to have, instead of, you know, you have the quantitative metrics, but I think the qualitative too is how's your team doing and how's the temperature of your team? Are they excited? Are they motivated? Are they ready and fired up? Um, and being really transparent when they, you notice a shift because it's pretty obvious when you run <laughs> run a company when you're like, hey, this person was super in last week. What's going on this week? And where are we at? And oftentimes it's a family thing actually. And so taking temperature on that's really important. On a personal note, I think it's really important for me to just have a time to, to be focused on the family. And I think that's been something that I I think balancing a company, you're kind of always a little distracted and, and you're always a little bit, you're thinking about that all the time, like 24 seven, like it is, you live, breathe and sleep it. Um, so I think really taking time to have, have dedicated time for the family has been a, a big thing for me personally. That means like we have dinner together. And I think that I know it sounds really cliche, but it's, that's kind of what we focus on is like. 6 p.m. We all eat dinner together and, and I may have to work again, you know, and that's usually what happens is that I put our son to bed and then I'm back to work. But, you know, we have that time together as a family, which I think is really important. I appreciate that focus. And the listeners have heard a couple of shows recently where we've 
talked about that uh, with a couple of people and so important, right? You lose your family. Well, what, what was the purpose of all this? You know, you've been working, people say, well, I'm working so hard. I'm doing it for my family, but you never see your family, you know, think through that a little bit, right? Why are you really doing it? And, and, and sometimes it does take that. It did for me. I'd spend a long time, you know, so focused, missed a lot of family time, but you know, and that could not keep going, right? I did have to make a s- switch. So I uh, just appreciate you. Yeah. Elaborating on that. Yeah, uh, don't lose focus of what's, what's most important, right? Keep the main thing, the main thing. What are some habits, Alex, that you are disciplined about uh, that have produced the highest return for you? I exercise every day. (laughs) And I think that really helps is like, I get up early, um, usually at 530 and then I exercise. And I think it's, you know, on the weeks that I'm able to do that every day, it's like the mental space that I'm in and how well I feel like things are going. is just so different um, than the days that I don't do that. Making sure that I have at least some quiet time during the day at, at some point. And it's usually just 15 minutes, but like, Hey, <laughs> the introvert in me needs to have like a 15 minute space where I can just have a moment to reset. And those things I think have really improved just like energy and ability to execute. So those I think are, are really important. Each person will have their own, maybe 15 minutes of social time is what someone needs who's extroverted. <laughs> um, Cause I certainly have friends who are that way, who are like, if I don't talk to somebody else outside of my family or my company, I need to like, I'm going to kind of lose it. But for me, it's like, I need the 15 minutes of quiet and I need to have exercise and, and get up early. What's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? I think the support network that I have in my faith network, I think that's been huge because you are are your own entity, but it takes a, a mountain behind you to, to really keep it stable and moving forward. Um, I couldn't do this without having a supportive community and a supportive family because this, this requires a lot of travel, requires a lot of effort and requires a lot of intentional time working on the, on the business. And so if I didn't have that support behind me saying, you know, you can do this, we're really, really here for you. We'll do whatever you need. I couldn't, I couldn't do it without them. And then having strong faith system saying, you know, this, this is really, really for more than just myself and more than just my company is like, I want to build a really good company um, that is just has good integrity and operates with great values. So I think that's, those are the two. And how do you like to give back? So there's a few different ways that we try and very intentionally to give back. We have several organizations that we work with as have worked with for, as a family for a long period of time um, in individual families that are more missionaries and local in their communities. And that's part of why I really want to grow and scale is I think the give back is huge. I, I love the idea of radical generosity and doing transformative giving. Um, and I think that looks different at each stage of where you're able to give. But for us, I think building a platform that is able to sustain consistent radical giving is, is what uh, we want to do. And, and I think that allows you to have more than just you as, as the center of anything. And I think that's where you see the demise of most people is if it just becomes about you, there's no reason. I, I you, It's a very lonely path. Um, so we, we try to be radically generous, both with our local um, community. And then there's a, um, there's a few folks that we work with that are, are local missionaries in, in across the U.S. and really try to support them. Love that. Appreciate you sharing that. And I, I think it's a myth to think that, it, you know, if it's just about me, that I'm going to have joy forever, right? It's, it's so short-lived and, you know, quick burnout on things like that. Uh, yeah, I love the focus on that. I loved what you said. There's two, two sustained radical giving. I, I like that. Uh, I wrote that down. That's, uh, I like that a lot. But Alex, uh, a pleasure to meet you, have you on the show. Uh, I enjoyed the interview conversation so much and, and what you've accomplished, your, your focus, you know, obviously building a, a business that's uh, so ethical, so uh, 
you know, upstanding. Just appreciate that. But really, you know, your your measurable objectives, being clear about them, the outcomes, and you know, the outcome, uh, the employees, and how your meeting cadences, and uh, but you know, each person, you know, how you did that, and walking through that process, even interns and and. Um, yeah, meetings and what your day looks like now, you know, compared to maybe what you want it to look like some of those things, even to how you calculate reserves. I just think that's so helpful to the listeners uh, to hear somebody that's experienced like yourself to think through that, right? Well, how, you know, how are they looking at those deals now, especially in our market right now? I mean, are, you know, are they ready to withstand a small storm or big storm? Uh, you know, and so just grateful for that uh, and just your heart to, to, to give as well and think long-term about giving. Uh, how can the listeners get in touch with you and learn more about you? Yeah, I would, anyone who wants to reach out, I'm always, I love meeting new people and we love welcoming more people into our, um, into our fold. Uh, so graywellcapital.com is a great way to connect. Um, and Graywell is spelled with an E. Uh, and then also I'm somewhat active on Twitter, trying to get more active, but it's Alexandra Seymour on Twitter. So either one of those are great. If you DM me on Twitter, I usually am fairly responsive. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day. 